0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Today, I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to talk about what's new for 2022. There's a lot of things that at the Ag PhD field day this year we saw world launches on and we also saw releases of products that have come out the last couple of years. And with the pandemic and everybody staying home and social distancing for a while, well, we didn't get to talk about some of those things, so there, there's quite a bit to be excited about going into the next growing season as more of these newer things come available for you on a wide scale. Well, speaking of availability, that's one of the things going into 22 that we've had a lot of questions on. What is supply going to be like on almost any input, whether that be equipment or fertilizer or chemistry or seed? And wow, there's that's a big subject for this next season. So there were a lot of tight short or tight supply and uh, and shortages in 2021. And while the pandemic is still going on, it's a little bit to be expected, especially when many of our supplies are coming from overseas. But what does 2022 look like? Honestly, it looks like more of the same. There's some of the products that that got in pretty tight supply in 2021 that. There just won't be enough time to build supplies up heading into the next year. And some of that is due to to labor issues. Some is due to shipping issues. There are just many things going on in the industry right now. And so for our farm this fall, one of the focuses is to load up on whatever we need for next year so we don't run into an issue when we're really busy. Now, right now we're looking at harvest-type things and just getting parts on hand. I've talked to a number of farmers and, and asked, you know, you got all your spare parts and everything you're going to need for fall on hand. And some of the guys have said, well, I just got my parts that I wanted last spring for my planter, for tillage tools, and different things. And so, yeah, now now we're going to start working on, well, is there anything else that we need for fall? There were just things we couldn't get last year, and I know your farm might have been the same way where you just had to make do sometimes with what you had to to keep going. So I, I would look at this fall as one of those times where if you don't like loading up on things, especially for next spring, this may be the one year that you make an exception on your farm and say, you know, it may be a pain, but I want to make sure that I have what I need. Couple things that we're, we're most concerned about are roundup supplies, and and I realize for for many farms out there, well, roundup isn't what it used to be because it misses pigweed or kochia or mare's tail or a few of these key driver weeds that we've got. But it's still very useful chemistry and controls a broad spectrum of weeds, even if it does miss a few different weed species now. It's still an important base chemistry that we're adding a 2,4-D or adding a dicamba or or adding something else in to, uh, and to add more weed control. So, yeah, let's just say, for example, Dicamba 240, great examples. Let's say that Dicamba works awesome for you in fall applications to wipe out winter annual weeds. But you also have um, some grass out there and and other things that Dicamba is not going to be great on. Roundup's the cheapest and best tank mix partner. This year, we're we're looking at Roundup prices and, and what we expect to see out of them coming up here this fall as, hmm, Roundup's going to be up in price, not maybe as significant as it has been in the past, but it's definitely a lot more expensive than it was last year. So it could be something where you look at, well, what weed species do you have specifically and could something like Clethodim come in and be cheaper or maybe uh, if Gramoxone's an option for you, maybe say, well, I might just go Gramoxone. I've got the right weather for that and, and I'm capable of spraying that particular product and, and could do that cheaper than my tank mix. Very possible. I, I think every year we've got to look at everything that we're doing on the farm and just evaluate, is this the right way to go? Should I be doing a burn down? Should I be doing tillage? Should I be using multiple modes of action here? Should I time it at this time or should I wait a little bit? Uh, All those things, we just have to keep asking the questions of what is going to give me the best return on investment on my farm and what is going to help me do the things I want to do when I want to get them done. So we'll look into some of those different products on today's program. Again, we're talking about what's new for 2022 and and also what the supply is going to be of those things. And then uh, the other one I mentioned, Roundup, but I want to also mention Liberty before uh, I leave this topic of What do we expect with Liberty? Unfortunately, UPL had a plant that blew up last year that that makes Liberty, and that is not going to help us when Liberty demand could be the highest it's ever been with the adoption of Enlist E3 soybeans that allow Roundup Liberty and 2,4-D to go on them. Also, the new Extend Flex soybeans where you've got Roundup Dicamba and Liberty that you could spray on those particular soybeans. Uh, There's a lot of soybean acres that are going to get covered by Liberty. In fact, it it could be the the vast majority of soybean acres. And then you add to that some of the dicamba volatility issues that we've seen. And some growers are saying, well, I'm going to plant extend or extend flex soybeans. I'm just maybe going to spray Liberty out there that extra time or certainly the later season application. And when Liberty supply is going to be tight, we know the price is going to be up. And it's another one of those products that if you can get Liberty, I wouldn't pay Uh, A huge ransom for the Liberty. I don't think that's worth it. But if you see Liberty and it's fairly reasonably priced, I would lock it up, get it home. It it is a product that does require warm storage. So you want to keep that in the heated shop and keep it 50 degrees or more. That would be the best. But it's certainly one that's going to be worth taking home, even if you normally, again, aren't somebody who takes those products home. With the seed prices, starting to see some seed pricing hit in our area from a few different companies. What growers are telling us is the prices are up. That's not a big surprise considering where commodity prices are. And also, you know, seed production acres. You think about this, if you're going to raise seed corn on your farm, well, you're going to get paid based on what could you gross if you're just raising commercial corn. So, those prices are definitely up, costs are definitely up. So, we're going to expect to see seed prices up a little bit. Uh, And in the grand scheme of things, if seeds up five or six or seven dollars an acre compared to fertilizer being up a hundred dollars an acre or maybe even more. It's not the biggest thing out there, but hey, it's just another one of those little things that's going to add up to a little more expense. So, we're going to talk about how to make those decisions on the new products for 2022 coming up on today's program. Stay tuned.
1: We now bring you an important news bulletin.
2: This just in from Live Action News.
3: Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
0: New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your down. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more.
4: Fill once, plant all day
0: Back you're listening to AG PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. One of the things we get a lot of requests about on our radio show is talk about what's new, talk about what's coming for the next season so we can start thinking about these things or dig into them a little more, learn a little bit more about them. And there are some new uh, players in the market all the time. Uh, I remember when you first started talking to Tom Wood with Belsham about well, what's going on with tough five E C. We were really excited to have another option, another weapon fighting some of these tough weeds, like the pigweed species, for example. So we got Tom on to start the show today. Uh, Tom, really appreciate having you on here today. What, what you got for 2022?
5: Now, I appreciate being on also. And thanks Darren, but uh, we have, a lot of new and exciting things going on at Belsham. We have new Japanese shareholders that you probably saw in the press. We're expanding our organization. We had a reasonably successful launch of Tough5EC. But in terms of new products, we'll be building on our proprietary product of Puridate. And in twenty twenty two we should have registered our first two-way PuriDate mixture with mesotreon So uh, that brings a, a standalone product, two modes of action with proven effectiveness, Pyridate with HPPD, um, brings quite a nice synergistic effect, and it'll be all in one bottle to address resistant wind.
0: Uh, I um, love I love that, Tom. I love having that multiple mode of action product. And we think about how many acres are seeing miso right now and could really use an extra kick. We've had a lot of growers this summer have said, you know, miso still good, but we're hearing about areas where it's missing some of these pig weeds. Wow, adding uh, Pyridate to that is going to be really good.
5: So, yeah, and it really shines in the high-resistant weeds area. So the, we're going to name it Tougher. So we'll have tough, tougher, and we'll see what the next generation brings. Uh, The Registration timing won't be very helpful for us, but we'll get enough to do test marketing. So people will see it out in the market, just not on a full-blown launch just yet.
0: All right, so we got tough out on a lot of acres around the country. Talked to quite a few growers at the field day that had tried the product, really liked it. What did you see, Tom? What did you learn, and what are some of the tips you'd have for growers that said, you know, I didn't get a chance to look at that yet. Uh, Is this something I should consider for 2022?
5: I think any grower who is in a high-resistant weed area and wants better control, I think they should look at tough. Um, it really shines there. Uh, the feedback that we got from the market is it worked and it worked as advertised. And honestly, I, I say this, and this is probably not the right thing to say, but we got no complaints. So, you know, first year launch, I think that says a lot about how tough performed.
0: You know, when we looked at this year, we saw a lot of heat through the month of June. And I think that was a, a time a lot of growers were spraying cornfields. Uh, did you notice anything, Tom, in terms of the additives, the, the spray pressure, the water volumes, any of those things that, that made a difference? Did you hear back from, from growers about things that, where they said, wow, that, that was, uh, that's when it worked the best for us?
5: Uh, in those high heat conditions, certainly you want to, The smaller you get the weed, the better. Uh, but we got feedback from. Uh, let me give you an example. We got uh, feedback from one grower who later in the season said, "I want to kill giant ragweed. I'm going to spray around the the edges of my crop." And he did, and it smoked everything uh, along with uh, the HPPDs he put down. So, you know the. The growers that used it saw good results. The environment this year was stressful for the pre's and also for the early post products. But I think following the the label, the appropriate water, the right um, um, mixture with crop oil and, and things like that, it did well, it did well this year.
0: One other question, Tom, I've got for you, and I can let you run. But I, I get this question quite often. We'd hear growers uh, talking about tough and saying, "Okay, uh, so that was nice in the corn crop. What other crops are you pursuing labels in?" Is this something that that we're going to see in quite a few different crops down the road?
5: Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, of course, it's labeled already for mint and chickpeas, but by the end of 2022 we should have our first registration of pyridate in soybeans. So we're excited even more about that, that we'll have pyridate on two of the largest crops in the United States. Um, So we expect that'll be a 2023 launch. It'll be late this year where we see that registration. And so expect uh, a soybean label extension. We have some other minor crops too. Um, and the other product, which could be interesting, thinking long-term and innovation, we're also putting into development this year our first three-way pyridate uh, formulation that takes advantage of all the things that pyridate works well with. Um, so with the HPPDs, with Atrazine, and this could be a one-stop shop for, for pyridate in the market. It may be our toughest yet. So, but there you go. So far, that's <laughs> <it was> good.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for all the support. Really appreciated seeing you out at the Egg PhD Field Day. Look forward to working with you again this year.
5: No, it was my pleasure. We had a lot of
0: fun. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Uh sit down to Iowa get Kelly Garrett and you may know kelly from uh from extreme egg and and some of the other things that he's doing, but uh, I know Kelly as a farmer is always trying new things and trying to improve things on his farm. Kelly, thanks for joining us.
1: You bet Darren how's it going?
0: Good, good. All right, so we're talking about what's new for 2022, and obviously uh, you're a guy that gets to try a lot of things out before they come to market, but also you're always looking at, well, what can I do? Because I I not only want to set records here with my yields, I want to set records for profitability too on the farm because i got got the next generation coming along. So what new things are you excited about for next year?
1: The number one thing we're probably most excited about is our plan for residue management. In our corn stocks, especially where we're going back to beans, but really beans and corn on corn, uh, we believe that the American farmer is hurting their or hindering their soybean yields because we're planting them too thick, and we want to keep being able to take those populations lower and lower. A couple of years ago, we were at 150. Now we're at 120. I very much think the sweet spot will be in that 80 or 90 thousand range.
0: Okay, that can be a challenge. I, we were just having a discussion about this uh, earlier this week, talking about lower soybean pops, and, and had some growers say, man, uh, I, I planted 150, I only got 120 to pop up this year. What did I do wrong? And one of the things that they had said was, well, they didn't have seed treatment on everything, and they thought that had made a big difference to them. What else do you think? So residue obviously is one of those things that can can hurt us with our soybean Emergence and our stands. Uh, is there anything else you're seeing in your area? I know in Western Iowa, you got some different challenges than than we may have in other parts of the country.
1: We uh, we're gonna we we tried this last year, and next year it'll be well this fall really it'll be a hundred percent. We'll have devastators on all three corn heads. We believe that's the first step. The second step is using a product like your Decomp and a uh, residue uh, biological. Uh, application with the pre-plant chemistry to help break those stocks down. And then we have worked with Andy Thompson from Yetter. And Yetter has a, a model of a trash wheel. I believe the number on it is a 2940. And the angle of that wheel, Darren, is pitched just It's not quite as severe a pitch because on our 15-inch planters, our split-row planters, the front row will throw the residue over far enough That it plugs the back row. So we haven't been able to run trash wheels and clear that path. By using this model number 2940, we believe that we'll be able to run trash wheels on those 15-inch planters, get the population lower, the singulation better, the germination better.
0: Very good. Yeah, I like that. I like that thought. I like looking at just, just the, the simple little basic things that go into raising a better crop. And it's some of the stuff that you hear Kelly and the guys on Extreme Ag talking about. Uh, Kelly, best of luck to you heading into 2022. It's going to be fun seeing how this season turns out.
1: Thank you, Darren. I'm actually on the way to Princeton right now. So
0: Outstanding. Well, we'll see you there. We've got a, a field day that we're doing in Princeton, Illinois coming up. Uh, tomorrow, So that's going to be going to be fun to see how things look out there as well. Stay tuned. We're talking about what's new for 2022 on today's program. We'll be right back.
3: Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
1: Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from environmental tillage systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Get an extra semi load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farmshop
2: MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi load. Visit farmshopmfg.com
0: for more. Welcome back you are listening to AG PHD Radio. Oh man, what a fun show today. We're talking about what's new in 2022. And you know what? Harvest season is right around the corner on our pharmacy, and Soybean fields starting to turn yellow in the area and silage is getting taken out of the field right now and it won't be long we'll be harvesting for grain as well. And when we do, that means we're going back into grain bins. We got our friend Tony Wendler on with us right now with Farm Shop MFG. Tony, how about your farm? You guys getting close? We're I'm actually uh, pulled off here uh, to, to talk with you. The uh,
4: I'm looking at one of my bean fields that is turning as we're speaking, and uh, I know the others are still looking kind of green, but uh, this one I actually started ordering parts for the the combine yesterday. Some things I needed to replace.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, no. there's there's not much time with that. It's going to come quickly. And, hey, you know, one of the things that, that uh, you brought up right there is you got some fields that are turning and parts of fields that are turning. The soybeans just seem to be one of those crops that can be really uneven, and the moisture absolutely changes as we're harvesting during the day. My brother really likes to get going when beans are... 15-16% moisture so we can start an hour or two earlier each day and it really adds a lot of time to our harvest window if we can do that. But how do you handle that? Because we're going to be bringing beans back into the bin. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Uh, if you bring your your beans and let's, you know, whatever operation, whether it's a large one, a large one might fill a bin in a day. You a couple of combines going, you've got wet beans in the bottom, you've probably got Couple of points at least, drier beans that are coming in the afternoon, early evening. And if you stay out there very late, you might start adding some moisture back to them. So now you've got that variable through the bin, or in a smaller operation like mine, I'm going to layer it. I'm going to have uh, some wetter beans, uh, and then uh, as I go through the day, they'll be drier. And by the time I get the bin filled, um, I might be starting in the morning at 13 and uh, finishing the afternoon or evening at mm-hmm. 9 or 10. Uh, you know, those types of ranges. If you've got a fan control, you've got a few different options. If you've got, uh, overall, if you're wet, we can use a fan control, put a, a baseline to hold our bottom, so we bring them down to uh, 13 without over-drying. And whenever we've got uh, air that is less humidity than the wet beans, just keep blowing it through and removing that moisture, blowing it out through the top. Additionally, the, uh, if we've got drier beans on top, we'll push that water up through them and add moisture back to them. The, uh, if you've got layers like more of what my scenario is, I'll run my end zone in a narrow band of humidity, plus or minus my target, and uh, let it run over an extended period of time. It's only running a few hours a day, but it will even that bin out really closely. The uh, It kind of surprised me how uh, you know within a half percent, three quarters of a percent from bottom to top. Uh, one of the things that, a uh, couple of quick stories, Uh talked with a, a gentleman who had bought an end zone last year and, and was emptying his bin, wasn't, uh, they were a little drier and he was wanting, and he talked to me and I talked to him about his settings, and I told him adjust his settings to this, uh, to a different set of settings than he was using. Uh, this was middle of last week, I talked to him yesterday, and he said in that five-day period of time, he picked up a point and a half moisture in his beans. Wow. Uh, so it happens. And if you've got moisture in the air, he's over in Illinois. They've got moisture in the air. If you've got moisture in the air you can, and a big fan, you can change beans fast. It is remarkable to me how quickly we can add moisture to a bin if you've got a big fan and we've got humidity. But one of the, the last things, Darren, that uh, I think farmers over here, us in the Western Corn Belt, our humidities have been so low. I think there's going to be a lot of us are going to have not that much opportunity to harvest wet as we're going to have a big issue of dry beans out there that uh, we're going to be out there with the the nine and tens and uh, adding water back, it's a moneymaker. So that is a, that's a technology. It's, it's come around. Uh, One last thing I'll, I'll say on it is uh, another conversation I actually had yesterday also was a a, this was this was second hand but uh, an older gentleman uh, was saying he knew how to run his fans and didn't need a device like what uh, mine were and uh, he had uh, some 10% beans uh was running his fans however and dried them down to 7 oh boy uh the uh so he took uh, inadvertently took a lot of water out and that's where you know i've i've heard you talk about needing to get out there in the middle of night to turn them off or in the middle of the afternoon to uh turn them off if they're running you know it's it's just difficult for all of us with our busy activities of harvest and all the distractions to do it when it needs to happen and if you let those fans go very long at the wrong time it's going to happen and for us here in the western corn belt i think this is going to be another fall of sparse humidity and um
0: you're you might only see an hour or two a day that will actually work and it's going to be in the middle of the night uh, so yeah it's it's just tough it's tough to to manage those things but if we have automatic controls. That's what we like about it so much because we know we're going to get busy. And you're right. We're not going to be awake 24 hours a day, although it feels like it sometimes during harvest. Uh, and and having controls to, to run those things are important. But it doesn't cost that much, Tony. They're really not in the grand scheme of things. You're not investing a whole lot of money. When you think about those 7 or 8% moisture beans that you mentioned – just taking one bin back up to thirteen percent think about how much money that is he could potentially profit it's it's a big deal a base a
4: base unit an end zone base unit this is without monitoring the bin is twenty three hundred bucks that's going to turn your fan on and off twenty three hundred bucks the uh, if you've now got monitors that are monitoring the moisture that you're gaining in the bin you know with the twenty three hundred you're gonna to have to be pulling. Grain samples and deciding where you want to land, but now you can put sensors in there to monitor the humidity. A twenty thousand bushel bin, that's still less than thirty nine hundred. And uh, you know, if you're putting in three points of moisture, thirty nine hundred could get you thirteen fourteen thousand dollars extra semi load.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't take long to add up. Uh, All right. Talk to us about planter parts. And here's one thing I had brought up earlier that I'd been visiting with some farmers that said, I just got my planter parts from last spring. They finally showed up at the dealership. Uh, What do you see? Because I know, uh, you know, working with the germinator closing wheels, uh, you had huge demand this year. I'm assuming you probably sold out. How are you doing on that heading into next year? Do you anticipate you're going to have any supply issues? I'm, uh, I'm my biggest concern is cost issues. The steel is just crazy, and when you're
4: making a, a steel uh, steel wheel, that's my my biggest concern. We are looking at doing a few different options, and I'll I'll tell you this just on a on a supply point of view. Um, we uh, we've made gotten the plastic rims like everybody's got in their planters. I'm getting those out of China like everybody else does. Uh, I've now got them made for next year. But uh, they're sitting over there in a port, we can't get a container to come here. And they're saying, maybe October, November, you might get a container. And uh, it's, that's a terrible issue if you've got to bring parts out of there. Um, the, uh, domestically here on cutting steel, it's just going to be a cost thing. We're looking at uh, our material cost is going to be up probably 50 to 60% as compared to last year. And that's our biggest concern. And again, one last thing on getting things done uh, this people, this thing of people not going back to work creates a problem. It did create a big problem for us here in the spring of uh, not being able to, the flow was not as good as we would have liked. And I'm concerned about that because I see this uh, this thing of
0: people not returning to work is continuing. Yeah, so yeah that's, it sure is. That's something that I hope is new for 2022, that that, that problem turns around in a big way no doubt about that because you look at all the farm labor right now that we're trying to assemble for harvest and, and we're not the only ones there's every farmer out there could use an extra hand or two at harvest time and it's tough to find people right now that's that's a big deal that's yeah an incredible issue and
4: uh, some of the people that are some of the people that are out there I heard, you know, what's available is not that exciting
0: to have. <laughs> no, no, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, talking with Tony Wendler here about what's new for 2022. Uh, sounds like things are going great when it comes to uh, uh, the demand for bin fan controls, the demand for doing a better job with our planters, uh, and some of the, the new advancements that have happened in closing wheels like the Germinator closing wheel. Uh, Tony, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Stay safe this harvest season. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
3: Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
4: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall.
0: Every week for more than two decades, AgPHD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Heat, drought, wind, hail,
4: northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima Fungicide. Swift activity with fast payback. An expanded application window makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide is not registered in all states.
0: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about what's new for 2022, and it's always fun to think about what we can do to try and make more money on our farm and to do things in a little better way. And one of the, well, two of the topics that our next guest will discuss is one, how do you save a little bit of money on fertilizer? And the answer is banding it. And we talk a lot about strip tilling, but it could be done several other ways. You could certainly do it with your planter as well. We'll get into that, and then the other thing is reducing tillage for people that say, you know, I don't want to do full-scale tillage, but I still want to have a nice, clean strip to be planting into. i uh, have got got some great options for that as well. So we'll bring in our guest, Ty Fickenscher. He's out of Nebraska. He works with Luma, and uh, Ty got a couple of couple of hot topics that you're just right in the wheelhouse of this year.
2: Well, I suppose I have some experience with it anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. First of all, let's talk about the reducing tillage and and strip tillage. I understand that you were one of the guys that got a chance to to test out the prototype for the Soil Warrior Edge. What did you see? What's different? And for growers looking to get into strip till, uh, what would you recommend for them?
2: Well, I guess with with that machine in particular, it's a brand new row design. Um, they they kind of went back to the drawing board, designed a little bit differently, and you have the ability to switch between shanks and coulters very easily. Uh, so if somebody's really you know wanting to do more shank work in the fall and and work in the spring, you have that option. Um, you know, take about three hours or so one day to, to switch those out if uh, if needed. Um, and the other thing is, it's a little more lightweight. It's still heavy duty, but it's a little more lightweight. So for the growers that want three-point applications uh, mounted on a three-point toolbar, there's that flexibility now as well. Um, but in, in the work we did with it, we covered quite a few acres with it, and there was no sacrifice in durability, which is what ETS has kind of been known for. Um, went through some pretty tough conditions last fall and this spring, and and both machines that we ran held up extremely well. So, it was a pretty pretty good experience all in all, I guess, with a brand new design. So.
0: Excellent. Yeah, you just you just never know when, when they make big changes, and obviously they've got a system that works. We've been running a Soil Warrior machine now for quite a while on our farm. And one of the reasons that, that we're doing it is that it has been built heavy, and it's been very durable. We just haven't had the breakdowns that in the past have have plagued some of the other machines that are out there. So that's certainly something you want to look at if you're getting into strip-till. The other thing is just what your options are for for saving or making more money on the farm. Talked to a really high-yield farmer this summer who said uh, his yields went up significantly as soon as he started doing strip tillage and putting fertilizer in that strip. What do you see, Ty? Do you see a lot of the guys you work with that are doing strip till putting fertility in when they're doing the strips? (laughs)
2: Absolutely, and and that's how we prefer to do it. You know, if we're if we're going to go out there and put the strips out, we prefer to get some some fertility out there with it. Um, the guys that we've seen be, be the most successful in reducing fertilizer costs are looking at more at just N and P. You know, putting in, in potassium, sulfur, boron, manganese, stuff like that uh, to address what the crop will need within that strip. Um, I know early on, we haven't tracked it too much lately because we've had good experience with it, but early on, you know, we we're seeing uh, on soybeans about a 10 bushel yield increase when going to strip-till from a no-till system. Um, and that, and that's going to vary. I mean, Some guys have great success with no-till, but that is our, our experience anyway. Um, corn production, especially the corn on corn, if we had corn on corn versus corn on soybeans, we typically saw a yield difference, a lower yield in the corn on corn system. And one of our largest customers that we do work for, um, we started doing strip till for him. He said that difference in yield of corn on corn pretty much went away. He said he wasn't seeing that yield difference, uh, yield lag, if you will, from the corn on soybean rotation um, when he when he started doing strip till. So as we look at the, you know, fertilizer prices are going to be higher this next year. Um, you know, how can we conserve, you know, maybe cut back on some nitrogen by adding in some of the nutrients is really what our message has been to our customers.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things there, and when you make a switch like this in your farming operation of, okay, I'm going to change this basic practice of tillage and building that seed bed, it's a a major one, and there are a lot of parts to this. I love putting fertility in that strip, and the other thing that I like, and it really showed up this year for us, Ty, and I'm kind of curious for you in Nebraska, is drought tolerance. When we've got fertility in that strip, And We didn't till in between the rows. We've we've given up the least amount of moisture and we've got fertility right where our roots need it. So even if there isn't a lot of rainfall, we've got enough to get those nutrients solubilized and into the plant. So we saw much better performance in the dry climate with our strip till. How about you?
2: Well, and that's we were pretty fortunate. We didn't really turn off terribly dry until about the last month or so. And we've actually caught some pretty timely rains here lately. i know the the field around our place you you really have to look to see this the the difference in the dry land and the irrigated on on that pivot quarter um but yeah, I mean really the the basics are there where you get the nutrients right to the crop you know it can get to the nutrients it needs to really help better protect itself under stress environments, whether it's drought or disease or whatever might come along so um, getting those nutrients right down there is, is absolutely critical.
0: All right, one of the questions we get a lot tie when we we think about strip till i'll I'll get growers who haven't done it yet and say okay in principle here if i'm running through let's just say with three coulters and i'm tilling these stocks up how much am i really cutting those stocks up how much breakdown should i really expect from those stocks by the time i get to spring or am i going to see some hairpin stocks laying down there in that seed zone that my planter is going to find in the spring what what's been your experience
2: well, and that's and that's where the difference in the manufacturers comes in. I mean, there's some there's some strip till machines that are are built, you know, a little bit lighter. Um, they're not meant to really disturb the soil too much and really just move some of that residue. And there are a few machines on the market, um, SoilWar being one of them, that are built heavier to really to really till up or break down that residue and i know that with uh, the machines we run we run with that lead wavy coulter and we're shooting to get that five to six inches deep in the soil as a lead coulter you know so we're really trying to get that residue broken up and reduce that hair pinning now that being said i really don't mind seeing some residue in the strip uh, helps you know helps reduce some crusting issues that might arise um, get some more of that organic matter right there in the in the zone as well so um, I guess that's kind of my take on, you know, if, if it's cleaned up well, if it's cut up well, there should not be hair pitting issues once the planter comes through the field.
0: One thing I saw last fall, Ty, and it really played out as a problem this spring, was guys that didn't get their residue spread evenly with their combines. Do you see that? And if right. so, what do you recommend for your guys if they they run into an issue and they see, oh man, one of the machines just was not doing a good job spreading that trash out?
2: Well, I mean, looking back at it, it's something that has to be addressed moving forward. Um, again, you talk about the dry conditions. We go in the dry year like this. If we have good residue, um, it's going to conserve that moisture better. It's going to lessen the impact of rainfall, and you're going to get better infiltration into the soil. Where we have the bare soil, where it's been, um, you know, excessively baled or if there's not a good residue spread, we're going to see those areas of the field uh, show more drought stress early, regardless of the tillage system or the uh, fer- fertilizer practice in most cases. So, um, you know, really making sure there's good residue spread behind the machine. You know, a lot of these newer machines are doing a very good job of, of spreading out there 30 to, to 40 feet, you know, to match the header size, um, but definitely something to keep an eye on and, and make sure there's even residue behind the combines.
0: All right, last question for you. If strip-till is new to, to any particular listener on our show today, would you recommend a shank or would you recommend the coulters? What do you like to run in the fall? It,
2: it really depends on the situation. We typically run a shank in the fall, uh, mostly due to, you know, by customer request. Um, even in the spring, if we get into conditions where they graze the graze the fields, um, you know, we might want to try and break some of that up a little bit more. But what we found with the culture setup is we're still able to get down, you know, six to eight inches deep with, with those cultures. So really just getting a good um uh good soil breakdown, you know, kind of fraction that soil really well for the planter to come through is, is the is the target. You know, with the shank you get more of that V shape um in the in the zone. With the coulters, you get more of a W or a U. You know, there's some argument there on that might even lessen chances of runoff under, under big rains. So uh, if we have conditions like last year, we had tremendous success with the shank, um, with the coulters. It's just a matter of getting them penetrated into the soil to get to get that, that soil broken up well. So it um, kind of depends on the situation, but that's kind of what we've ran with anyway.
0: Absolutely, and no matter what you're running, get out and do some digging behind that machine. Make sure you're accomplishing the goals that you're trying to achieve uh, Ty Insure with Luma down in Nebraska. Thank you so much for really the appreciate having you on. Good luck here this fall season. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Each year brings new and unique challenges
4: to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions. Microbial based solutions that protect
0: your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E dot com. Ag feeding the world responsibly. Partnering with microbes for human benefit. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
2: In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of DICON IGR and Sentinel EC Insecticide, or DICON IGR Plus, offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program
0: terms and conditions for full details. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of AgPHD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPHD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Weed control without the BS. That's more
2: time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near-zero volatility with unmovable principles.
3: With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com.
2: Enlist.com.
0: Hey, everybody. Come on in. AgPHD PhD Mailbag is about to begin. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio and one of the fun things that we get to do. We get questions from literally all over the world. And during the Ag PhD mailbag time, we take a look at those and maybe issues that you're facing on your farm may maybe other er- or issues that you say, huh, I don't have that, but I might have a similar thing that pops up in another crop or another situation. And here's one that I thought was interesting. So this one comes from BR who says, I need a little more information about how to decrease my excess calcium. You were talking about magnesium in the soil. I'm kind of curious. I I am in the opposite spot here. I got too much calcium. What can I do? All right. Well, thank thank you very much, BR. Really appreciate that. The first thing I would do, and, and I'm not sure how you've determined that you've got too much calcium. I would assume you've run some soil tests. We like to look at a complete soil test where we don't just see parts per million, we also see base saturation. And base saturation we'll talk about with our negatively charged soil colloids that have binding sites on them to attract positively charged nutrients. The base saturation test tells you on all those negatively charged binding sites on the soil colloids, what positively charged nutrients are attached to them. We'd like to see calcium somewhere in the 65-70% range. We'd like to see magnesium somewhere in the 12-15% to 15% range, if I could have an ideal number. And potassium we'd like to see somewhere in the 4-7% to 7% range. So when you look at numbers like that, if your calcium is over 80%, I would agree with you. You've got excess calcium. So 80 is kind of the top end we, we would prefer not to be um, any higher than that. So let's just assume you get a lot of calcium, you just don't have enough of the other things. What I would suggest is, well, increase the levels of the other nutrients. So if calcium's at a super high parts per million and make that makes it a super high base saturation as well, you can increase magnesium. You can increase potassium. If you can lower the pH in your soil, you can increase the hydrogen percentage. And all of a sudden your base saturation calcium could come right back down in line. So that's how you can fix it. As far as removing calcium, crops consume it. So you can look at, well, if I can raise high yielding crops that take a lot of calcium out of the soil, you could work your way down with your calcium uh that way, but I know what you mean. Some soils just have tons and tons of, of excess calcium in them too. And it's, it's going to be easier uh, than anything else just to add more nutrients. Obviously it costs money to do that. Now, the other thing is if you have high levels of calcium, make sure you're not adding any more. Because if you've got a ton of calcium, you've got plenty of available calcium, maybe you've got another fertility source here like a manure or a litter that you're getting a bunch of calcium in there that you weren't really thinking about. You're just looking at the NPK levels in those additions that you're making out in your field, but maybe there's calcium in there. So that might be something to watch for. One thing that we're doing on our farm where we've got some of these high calcium soils, we found a product called Extricate that... That does a nice job of making some of those nutrients available where where high calcium soils have tied them up. Uh, so that may be something that you look at too. If there's some sort of uh, fertilizer additive or or um, organic acid type product to to help make some of those nutrients more available, so you could remove more of that calcium. Uh, great question, Br. Really appreciate it. Take a complete test. Also look at base saturation in addition to parts per million. And look at increasing the levels of other nutrients up to that high level, like the calcium's at. Okay, uh, next question here. This one comes from James. Said, I'm attaching soil samples from two of my farms, and my main concern is high magnesium levels, so kind of the opposite of our last question here. So, said, the agronomist we work with wants to spread pelletized gypsum, which is calcium sulfate, to help this issue. I know my parts per million of magnesium are high, but my base saturation looks like it's right in the ballpark of where you guys like it, unless I'm misunderstanding something. Also note, both of these farms are pattern tiled. We're in central Iowa in a corn and soybean rotation. Uh, he said, I appreciate your input, and I finally got a chance to attend your field day this summer. had a great time, and I'm looking forward to you coming next year. Hey, thanks, James. We really appreciate that. And yeah, we do look forward to seeing you again next year. Okay, so looking at the soil test, what we're seeing is a lot of base saturation, magnesium. Well, here, let me just give you an average of the base saturations. So we're looking at about a base saturation of two uh, – two two and a half on potassium so we'd like that one to be higher we've got magnesium anywhere from uh, 14 13 14 up to 20 but most of the base saturation magnesium is around 15 and on the calcium side we've got some that are up in the low 80s but most of them are going to be right in the 65 to 70 range so i see what you mean We've got calcium about where we want it. We've got magnesium in your cation exchange capacity soils of uh, 20 to 30, but I'd say an average around 25. We'd like to see that magnesium down around 12. You aren't too bad at 15. So I think you got some bigger fish to fry here than worried about the, the calcium and magnesium in your soil. It sounds like and looks like by these samples, it's pretty close to right. So what are some things that I would work on? You're really low in sulfur. You definitely need to be adding some sulfur out there. And then when we look at phosphorus uh, to zinc ratio, boy, we could use a little bit more zinc. And your boron levels are really low and we don't have a test on manganese, iron or copper. So I would suggest we run a complete soil test to to find those out. You're using Midwest Labs. I would run the s 3 C test to get the, the complete analysis uh, with all the micronutrients and everything else. Now, your organic matter levels are high, that's wonderful, and with heavier soils, it just takes a lot of parts per million to get some of those nutrient levels where you want to see them on the base saturation test. So, I would build towards 4% K, that would be something that I'd invest money in, I'd definitely use some sulfur, and it looks like your phosphorus is good, but you could use some more phosphorus as well. So, I'd spend more money on P and K and sulfur, as well as some micronutrients, before I'd spend any money chasing the magnesium, if it was... On our farm, Uh, I think your levels are are not bad. And I would be nervous if you're adding a lot of pelletized gypsum. I like the sulfur part of that, but if you get some calcium out there, especially in those areas where you already have 80% calcium, I think that's going to be a problem. So I don't think I'd spend the money on that. Thanks a lot, James. Really appreciate the question. It's, it's a good one because there's so many things that you can focus on as you're building soils that, man, it can, be, it can be trouble. It can be trouble really fast if you get heading down the wrong way. Uh, I get lots of questions. Um, Have you tried this product or have you tried that one? Um, There's a product called MT-17. And the question is, have you tried using MT-17? No, we haven't. And, you know, there there are a lot of things that we have tried and we've done a lot of research on. So I do appreciate the question. Um, That just happens to be one that we haven't. And I don't know. How do you draw the line? You think about it for your own farm. How many trials do you really want to have? Well, we have quite a few, but uh, we can't can't test everything out on the market. Okay, I got this question from John. He's down in Kansas. He said, I had a couple of pictures I thought you guys might, might enjoy. The first one is my two- and four-year-olds a couple of weeks back helping scout soybeans, which, by the way, everything looked good that day. Yeah, good thing he kept an eye on them, too. It looks like the beans are about as tall as the kids. That's, that's a pretty nice-looking soybean crop you got coming there, John. Uh, he said, Not all of these beans have four beans per pod, but they're looking pretty good right now. We're somewhere around R6 or R7 stage. Yeah, it's fun. Now, John has split open the soybean pods, and it brings up a good point. I mentioned earlier in the show, we've got soybeans that are starting to turn in our areas. They're starting to senesce and turn yellow. But you really want to look at the soybean pods as the true sign of where maturity is at. So John has split open the pods and you can see the, the membrane that holds the bean to the side of the pod and feeds those beans. Uh, those beans are still green, so we know that they've still got more fill to go and more development to go. But when you start to see those beans releasing from the sides of the pod and, and letting go, that's when you know the beans are done and have reached maturity. So that was kind of a nice picture to take a look at. Also, as as we get late in the season like this, I, I think it's neat to to get out in the fields and watch those last steps and learn what you can learn. At this stage, R6, R7, we're kind of done influencing yield unless there's some pest that comes through that we have to to knock out of there because they're clipping off pods or or piercing in and destroying soybeans in the pod. But yeah, at this stage, the crop is pretty well made. Hey, John, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Look forward to seeing more pictures uh, of your boys there uh, as, as they get a little bit older and enjoy a little bit more of the farm as well. Thanks for listening to our program today. We're going to talk more this fall about what's coming new for 2022 on, on tomorrow's program as well thanks for listening to today's ag phd radio show join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio